High Spots and Cheap Pops proudly presents AEW Dynamite Review with Silicon Steve Valley. And now, here's your host, Silicon Steve. Yes! Wednesday night, Dynamite has concluded, and it is time for the first official High Spots and Cheap Pops AEW Dynamite review. We're going to do this every single week. I am your host, the Silicon One, Silicon Steve Valley, and I am the AEW guru, 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 goulash, uh, guru of High Spots and Cheap Pops. I like to think of myself. And so this evening, the a couple of huge things to develop storylines, but the wrestling was shit. And it, obviously, I love AEW. I wouldn't be doing a fucking podcast about their show. But started out of the gate, of all people, Hangman had a couple of sloppy spots in the first episode, or the first match. Then the kids had a re- I don't know what was going on in that private party match. There was like flips and whatever the wrong guy covered. It was just unnecessary and sloppy and it looked stupid. And there were a couple of botches in that as well. And then Chris Jericho, the guy who never is supposed to screw up, does the ugliest lion salt I have seen in his career. And I have followed this man for literally 26 years. (laughs) 25, I'm sorry. No, 26. I'm right. 95. So from a bell-to-bell standpoint, which is supposed to be a staple and a strong performance, AEW did not show up tonight in terms of performing uh, performing their matches. Uh, the women actually probably were was one of the best matches of the night, probably the best match of the night. Let's address that elephant in the room, the shitty wrestling today. AEW, perhaps, they have to start looking at keeping that kind of stuff on dark. But the problem is, okay, the kids had a, had a little bit of a mess up. They were really trying to make a name for themselves, trying to show their athleticism, and it just was stupid looking. <laughs> Especially for me, because I don't subscribe into the 13 flips to a simple arm drag. I don't like that. I don't like spots like that. I don't like spots when there's 17 guys on the outside and a guy does a flip and hits two of them and all 17 guys get knocked down. It's like, oh, cool, flip from the top rope. Okay, I get it. You could do that spot just going against one or two guys. You don't need the entire match in a six-man or an eight-man. You don't need the entire group of people collapsing to the floor except for one of the guys who's going to be involved in the finish. Either way, my point is that uh, they really have got to probably worry about that. But the thing is, the argument to that is, if Hangman Adam Page and Chris Jericho aren't performing their moves, what's going on? Now, Hangman just had a mishap. It happens to everybody. And Hangman had a great match otherwise. It wasn't like, I, I bring up, Hangman's one of my favorite guys in the AEW, just like most of us. And, um, and we're going to get into that storyline progressing as well. But they opened the show, but we're going to, so that's the elephant in the room. They have got Jericho 
might need to rethink doing the lion salt. But I think what Jericho did, if you look at him jumping on it, I think he just jumped wrong. I don't think that would – I think Jericho can still do the lion salt, folks. And now you know Chris Jericho. If he can do it again, he's going to do it. But it's funny, you know, and he'll have to practice. So Jericho probably practiced a lion salt onto a mat to make sure he could do it. He just landed wrong. I don't think Jericho can't do a lion salt anymore. Everyone's making this big fucking problem. Oh, Chris Jericho can't, maybe he shouldn't do the lion salt anymore. Of course, every asshole on the internet, like Chris Jericho doesn't know better if he could do a lion salt. Oh, there's some fat guy in his mom's basement, which I am one of them. Actually, I own my house, but that's not the point. But I do sleep in my basement, which is interesting. So I think internet dorks, including myself, we need to relax and stop calling out Chris Jericho. Jericho would not have tried to maneuver if he didn't think he could do it. And he got over. It just looked stupid. Now, I don't know that for sure. Maybe Jericho can't do a line salt anymore. But the way he landed was awkward. That was, I think, the biggest problem. The way he landed, if you look, he land, I think you're supposed to hit both feet simultaneously on the second rope, and then you do the flip, and, that's, and that used to be his finisher before the Lion Tamer, slash Walls of Jericho. Those of you who uh, knew him in ECW, which is funny because ECW, you can hit a guy in a fucking, you can kick a guy in the face with a steel chair, can't get a three count, but the Lion Salt would do it. <laughs> it's like, what? Oh, man. But uh, so the wrestling was shitty tonight, though. It was probably the worst night for AEW in a long time. And uh, so let's go into the review. I just wanted to get that out of the way because I don't want to spend any more time on, on the matches itself because the matches weren't really worth talking about. They were shitty. And AEW knows it. Kenny Omega, Young Bucks, Cody, they all know from a bell-to-bell perspective it was a bad night. And you're going to have bad nights when you run a live television show every single week. Doesn't mean they suck. Doesn't mean they're horrible. They're still the best wrestling show on television. Even with the shitty wrestling, it's still the best show on television. The only thing is you had to fast forward through the matches this week, which sucks. Unless you watch it live like I did. If you fast, it's funny. If you fast forward through, you probably would have missed at least one or two of the botches. Probably not the Jericho one, but yeah, there was like five botches throughout the night. That's really bad for a two-hour wrestling program, folks. And they know it. And this isn't anything AEW is going to run away from. People may made mistakes, and there's a lot of that that happens in AEW. But you know, people are like, "Oh, you can't let the young talent uh, give them give them that kind of spot that quickly." Oh, stupid idiots! Don't know what they're doing. Stupid Tony Khan. That's what happens when you have a millionaire who never was in the business. That's what happens. Yeah, but when Chris Jericho and Hangman Adam Page also botch, what are you, what's your argument there? Shut the fuck up. They're giving people opportunities. Botches happen. I would limit the youngsters on it just because I'd rather see other people. I'd rather see Scorpio Sky. But... If you notice what AEW is doing, and then we're going to get into the, 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 the meat and potatoes of the review. That was goofy. What AEW is doing, they are, 
they want the wrestling to be great, but they are if you don't have a great storyline, they're not just going to put you on just to put you on. That's what Dark is for. Everything that goes on to AEW Dynamite furthers a storyline in some way. And they're usually all long-term storylines. And there's storylines happening that are amazing right now, but we're not paying as much attention to it. The Inner Circle is incredible what's happening right now with the Inner Circle and the characters involved. But because of everything that's going on with the Elite and, and Impact Wrestling, we're not even really talking about it. It's some great stuff happening with the Inner Circle right now. And we're going to get into that too, get into all that. Follow me at Real Steve Valley on Twitter. Check us out on, on a Facebook, High Spots and Cheap Pops. This is Silicon Steve Valley. This is AEW Review. Review for January 20th, 2021. So show opens. And uh, there's two ways to look at this. The show opens with negative one. Brody Lee Jr. Brody Ho- Brody Uber. Uh, you got another, got another push. Uh, he had there was a six man tag with the Dark Order and Hangman and Page, which we alluded to, and it was a fun match. But at the end of the match, what I was mostly looking forward to, and it was it definitely was a fun match. The finish was really good, um, but I want to talk about the storyline, what we have going on. So John Silver, who has become, despite the fact Evil Uno is, I guess technically in charge, John Silver has clearly become the breakout star of the Dark Order. And uh, and secondarily with Alex Reynolds as they are a tag team. And it started with their claim to fame on being the elite. John Silver is a player, folks. If you have not, I mean, I know he's already made waves. JR has taken a liking to him. Um, but John Silver, and I say that because I see a lot of myself in Silver in terms of his personality when I was younger. And I was from New Jersey. I, I was like, that guy's got to be from New Jersey with his with his personality. And uh, sure enough, guys from New Jersey. <laughs> so John Silver gets on the mic and he talks to uh, he's with the rest of the Dark Order. And they're asking in a very emotional way if Hangman will join the Dark Order. Hangman was supposed to give them an answer this week. And Hangman very emotionally said no. And so I want to kind of get into this is another great storyline. We're not we're talking almost about this one a little bit more than the inner circle storyline, but this is a fantastic storyline. So basically what they turn this, it's like a bromance, quite literally a bromance between the Dark Order and Hangman Adam Page. Uh, and John Silver's comedic delivery and content was certainly indicative of that. Like, oh, you smell pretty. He's like hitting on him. And like, he's really nervous because he, he wants to curry Hangman's favor to win his hand into the Dark Order, so to speak. And so Hangman is emotional and he says, I can't. And he leaves very sad. So it's almost akin to like, that typical romantic storyline in a movie where the chick or their dude's been hurt before and they don't want to let their guard down and they're, they're keeping that guard way up. They'll still be cool, but you know, they just, they won't make that commitment to be together. It's the same exact thing, but it's a faction and hangman. And I'm not sure where this is. I think hangman eventually joins and it'll be a brief, and I, I don't know how it's going to play out, but that is a very interesting dynamic. This is not over between Hangman and the Dark Order. I think they'll still hang out. 
but it's still just going to be just friends. You know what I mean? Hangman's keeping the Dark Order in the friend zone, folks. That is the key here. The Dark Order got friend zone is what happened in this. And that's where we're at with that storyline. But it's such a feel-good story. The Dark Order have become big-time baby faces, obviously, with everything that happened with Brody. And not only that, they've become these lovable losers. Even though they don't lose-lose, you know what I mean? They're not jobbers or anything. But they've become these guys. Without Brody, they really don't have a lot going on in terms of, oh, they're scary or they're the cool guys. They're these lovable losers that support each other no matter what. They fuck with each other, just like my friends do all the time, or we did when we were, when, you know, when we were kids in Jersey. And they and literally it reminds me, them hanging out reminds me so much of my friends in Jersey when you see them on being the elite. And again, if you're not watching being the elite, you're not watching AEW Dynamite correctly because there's so many nuances brought to the table there. So that progresses. And I think that's a really cool vibe, what they got going on with that. John Silver, and they all look sad. But you look at the emotion that Hangman had leaving. It's like he wanted to join the Dark Order, but he's afraid of getting hurt again. And that is pretty cool. <laughs> I think that's a really cool storyline. Because you don't see that. Too. I don't remember that being the case. Like usually a faction is like it's sneaky or there's like a like, oh, you you're in. Yay. You know, this is, you know, AEW. They draw a lot of shit out as much as they can. But it, it piques your interest. Usually I'm starting to get a little tired of Sting walking out with a baseball bat. They've been telling the same story for a month and a half now. I get it. He likes Darby Allen the most. You know, Sting. And that brings us to uh what happened next, I believe. I don't know if it was next. But I'll talk about that next anyway. Uh, we had Sting. We had uh, an interview with Sting and Tony Schiavini. Schiavini. And, um, oh, yeah, so to win the match, the, the Dark Order did beat the match, did win. And Moxley actually wrestled next. In a pretty good match, the kid, the guy he wrestled against... Um, was really, really good. Nick Comorado, he has a Brody Lee look to him, and but a big dude. He, you got to keep an eye out on him. I don't know if he signed with All Elite, but he's got some talent. And they had a really, they actually had probably, they actually probably had the best match of the night. So Private Party and Matt Hardy, they beat Top Flight and Matt Seidel. We talked about that goofy spot. And Penelope Ford in a good match. Penelope Ford and Layla Hirsch, love Penelope Ford. I like her, and if and if and what they did, and after that, they started introducing the fact that Chuck Taylor's got to be Miro's little Butler buddy. It was originally Young Boy. I think they changed it to Butler because I don't know if they thought they might have thought that Young Boy might not have uh, gotten over with the American crowd. So Butler, everyone knows what a damn Butler is. You know what I mean? So Tony Schiavone comes out. And interviews Sting, and I wanted to get into that. And we've been seeing this thing over and over. They're building Team Taz versus Darby Allen and Sting. I get it. Okay. They've been literally building this thing for a month and a half, which is cool. But it's the same. It's pretty much been the same thing. It's a standoff, and then they back off. It's a standoff. Sting comes out with a bat, and then Team Taz backs off. That's pretty much been what they've done every single week. I'm kind of over it. 
I get that they want to have this drawn out, but they're teasing why Sting wants to be with Darby. He didn't get a full opportunity because he was interrupted by Taz. I'm kind of, I kind of want this to progress a little bit. I'm kind of over it. I got to be honest with you. It was really cool, but they are milking this moment as much as they can. Now, that being said, it was announced Sting will have his first match back since his last match with Seth Rollins. I guess it must have been six years ago already. Holy shit, we're getting old. 2015 or 20, it was 2015, I believe Rollins was champ. It might be in 2016, though. No, it was 2015. 2015, and he went to that table, and then he hit the buckle bomb with uh, Seth Rollins hitting the buckle bomb on Sting, and Sting had the major injury, and um, I think and Sting just left the WWE. He said he was retiring in his Hall of Fame speech, and listening to interviews, you got the sense that Sting was going to come back. I don't think he loved the way he went out. And he had too good of a career for that to be the way, for him not to be able to go out the way he wants. And he's going to be able to go out on TNT where he made the biggest name for himself, which is interesting. But that being said, I am tired of just seeing Sting come out and side with Darby Allen and then a standoff and then Team Taz backs down. But they are going to announce that at the uh, beach, at the beach bash or whatever. I think it's... Beach Bash? I don't know. It's a beach-themed uh, dynamite in a few weeks. Sting and Darby Allen is going to face members of Team Taz. So that's exciting. You're going to have Sting come out. But that wasn't part of the match. So, so that storyline progressed a little bit, which is, thank gosh. Uh, Moxley came out, cut a very good promo. Like he, t- It was just good Moxley. Didn't really progress anything. He's He just basically said that, bringing in the bullet club or he did mention the bullet club specifically or the elite. He said, I don't know who's what the bullet club, the elite, but all you did was make it more interesting. All you did was make it more fun, more bodies to hurt, more necks to break, more limbs to snap and professional and professional wrestling goes through me. That is going to be fun television over the next several months seeing John Moxley fuck around with Kenny with Kenny Omega and the elite and the elite or the bullet club or what have you. So that they're just keeping that kind of going, keeping Moxley in your peripheral of that he is gonna be the biggest nemesis to this Kenny Omega faction. He's gonna be the stone cold. It's funny, like we've I, we might have said earlier in our pod in our regular podcast. I said to Vlad the Impaler. I said, you know what? This is kind of like the perfect storm because mid-90s, 96, 97, 98, that's when Stone Cold came to power, and that's when the NWO came to power. But they never really went at it. I mean, obviously, we know we had the rivalry when the NWO did their invasion of WWE in 2002, and we know the only really good thing that came out of that was Rock Hogan. So it wasn't like Stone Cold was against this NWO. It wasn't the same NWO from the previous years. This time, what they're building, they're trying to build something similar to the NWO, where it's actually taking over at least two companies. And that'll segue us nice and gently to a 
uh, it wouldn't be a vignette, a spot, a segment in the back where the Young Bucks earlier in the day met with Alex Marvez at Kenny Omega's house. And Kenny Omega was not there, but of course, the invisible hand, the other level consciousness wielding Don Callis, one of my favorite people in the history of this business, greets the guys there. But before they he greets them, they are sitting in what appears to be Kenny Omega's living room or study, what have you. And this, this was still a fun episode of Dynamite, even with all the complaints. There's this massive portrait, and if you have not seen it, if you want to see it, check me out at Real Steely Valley Twitter. I actually made it my cover page. This painting of these two very buff, very jacked guys, and this is a painting with that like crease in the crotch where you kind of see where the dongs will be popping out soon. The pants are a little bit low, so you see that nice little sexy crease. For those of you, those of you out there who find that sexy. And on the one hand, on the left hand, the guy, the one of the Jack guys was a face of Kenny Omega. And Kenny Omega has a you could see that being his body, especially after you know he worked out. But on the other side, the head on the body was none other than the invisible hand himself, Don Callis. And it was this painting, this beautiful portrait. It wasn't a picture. It was this painting of these two guys. And you have to see it if you did not see it. And then Don Callis comes and says, oh, guys, you see that? I had it painted. I had it painted for Burry Kenny. You like that? Yeah. So anyway, they had words. The Young Bucks and Don Callis had words. And Don Callis essentially said, <laughs> this was a really good spot. This was a really good segment. They, Don Callis comes out and cuts a check for the Young Bucks to basically not be, you know, that old bit where the, the dad will, they're just redoing all these old romance, romantic comedy storylines. So Don Callis cuts a check to basically buy out their friendship with Kenny. So they won't be friends with Kenny anymore. And they're like, we want to talk to Kenny. This is ridiculous. And then it gets heated. And then, they kick Marvez and the camera guy out. But Callus, of course, keeps the camera and says, you got to go, and leaves the camera down. And, of course, the, the camera is left running. So that allows the young bucks and Callus to really get into it. They get into a heated discussion. Camera goes off. You see Callus backing up to the camera. And the Bucks, you know, what have you. And then it just goes black. And then later in the night, you see Don Callis with a busted up face. And he tells Kenny that the young Bucks beat the shit out of him and what have you. Now, I'm calling bullshit. Right now, let me be the fucking 3,000th, but still... The Young Bucks are fucking turning heel as sure as the day is long. Mark it down right now. If you haven't yet, fucking mark it down. Mark it zero. No doubt in my beautiful mind, and I do have a gorgeous mind. Certainly not as beautiful as that painting of Don Callis and Kenny Omega. But... 
the young bucks are turning heel. And this is a couple of my arguments. First argument, they have been teasing it on being the elite. They said it a few times. Oh, we're thinking of turning heel. Oh, man. And then this past week, Nick Jackson was like, dude, what are we, stupid baby faces? All these heels are getting over on us? So they've been teasing turning heel. They always throw little signals early. That being said, they did not come all this way and do all of this together and not do this together in terms of being on the same side and being on the same team. From a logical perspective, the Young Bucks are probably better heels anyway. And it doesn't make a ton of sense for them not to turn heel. Now, it might not happen right away. There might be even a match with, imagine this, Kenny Omega and the Good Brothers versus John Moxley and the Young Bucks. I could see that happening. And wouldn't that be the perfect opportunity for them to turn on John Moxley, beat the living shit out of him, have him walk away. That's just something I'm putting out there. I don't know if that's going to happen. I don't have any inner people on AEW. And not only that, I don't like that. I despise when I know what's going to happen. When Meltzer tells you that Goldberg's coming back to beat the Fiend, I really wanted to be genuinely surprised in my disgust and anger. (laughs) When Goldberg was going to beat Kevin Owens, I wanted to... No, I'm just kidding. You know, but but seriously, this is... uh, That's my prediction right now. January 22nd, or January 22nd, In the morning of January 22nd, as sure as the day is long, the Young Bucks are going to turn heel and join with Kenny Omega. I'm telling you that right now. Lock it up. Now, maybe that's obvious to a lot of you, but there's a lot of you that's not obvious to. So there's that. That is key. Uh, So... And then finally, we're going to get into, and there were some other things that happened, but these are the, this is the crux. You can certainly go through it. There was, um, there obviously was the private party match. that match we talked about, that is progressing. Matt Hardy and private party. I think you're going to see a little heel run with private party, and then eventually they're going to turn on Matt, Har- Matt Hardy, but they're going to go along with them for the foreseeable future. They got to get built. They're, they're a ways away from being major players in this in, in, in the business, I think. They're a ways away, private party. But they are using Matt, but Matt Hardy's giving them a good rub. It's something that Matt can stick his teeth, sink his teeth into, and he's having fun with this character. So it's pretty cool. And what I like about Matt Hardy's character is that he's tortured. You know, this was supposed to be a completely different situation, but everyone's like, oh, they're totally misusing Matt Hardy. And Matt Hardy, Matt Hardy has been at a pay-per-view main event. He is in a good storyline every step of the way. And that, because of the controversy, that Sammy Guevara, Matt Hardy storyline was really underrated. There were some great things that happened during that. It was very, very underrated. And, uh, but without the crowd and without people chanting the elite and without probably a heel broken Matt Hardy, I didn't think it was going to, you know, it was a couple of years too late, unfortunately. 
Uh, but it was fun. And it was, I mean, Matt Hardy was part of some great moments of that inner circle elite feud. I mean, he ran over Sammy with the, with the golf cart, you know, so there was some really good things that Matt Hardy's doing. So Matt Hardy has something to stick, sink, sink his teeth into, but I think Matt Hardy might be feeling a little bit of pressure because he really does want to get over and, you know, now he's, you know, being used, not necessarily to, he's being used to get other guys over, which is something that he wants to do. And we'll see how that plays out. But I think private parties probably a couple of years away from really being major players in this business with or without Matt Hardy. I, I don't think that, I think that's kind of irrelevant. It's good to have a good storyline with Matt Hardy, but uh, they've, they've got to learn a couple. They've, they've got to get a little bit better at the entertainment aspect. And then finally, we're going to go into, in my opinion, <laughs> just weird storyline, but I love it. The Inner Circle. So if you weren't aware, the Inner Circle had a discussion last week and Chris Jericho shows MJF as his tag team partner. Now, Chris Jericho has been a part of three tag teams within the Inner Circle. And meanwhile, the best tag team in the Inner Circle is... Santana Ortiz, who, and they are now going to take the back seat to MJF and Chris Jericho. Now, here's the thing. Here's the big deal here. You saw MJF is starting to usurp Jericho's authority. Before the match, he said, I don't know if I would have done this, guys, but let's just do what Chris says. Chris is our leader. Let's do He's trying to be super positive and gain everyone's trust. I'm telling you this right now. I'm not saying this is going to happen. But because predictably MJF and Chris Jericho did win this match, so they are the official tag team. They are the tag team that's going to go, represent the inner circle to go after the tag team titles. And that actually, they could have a really fantastic match with the Young Bucks if they're still baby faces. But what you're going to see eventually is MJF is going to turn on Chris Jericho and the inner circle is going to hop on with MJF. As crazy as that sounds, but that's what they're working towards. Sammy's going to be out right away. We know Sammy's going to be the first baby face out of the inner circle. Especially when he's dealing with Mac. They, those guys are magic together. There's going to be a great – they have been feuding for years too, but now we're going to see it on a national stage. We're going to see MJF and Sammy Guevara go at it, and I can't wait for that. That's been brewing for a long time. So what you're going to see is you're going to see Sammy turn babyface, and then I think you're going to see them turn on Jericho. Or they could turn on Jericho when Sammy's not around. They have something where Sammy's hurt or Sammy's not around, what have you, and then they turn on Jericho. And then you have pretty formidable faction just in and of itself. You have MJF as the leader, the de facto leader of the inner circle. And you have Wardlow and you have Santana Ortiz. And then maybe you have Hager. It would be weird having Hager and Wardlow. Maybe Wardlow turns babyface too, but that's some things that they got to work out because Wardlow's going to be babyface eventually as well. We know he's going to turn on Max or Max is going to turn on him at some point. Wardlow is a fucking player, by the way. Every match I see this big athletic dude in is good. And every time he cuts a promo or has a microphone in front of his face, he's good. 
and he's playing this. He's playing a very minimal role of being MJF's heater. But every time this guy has been given the opportunity to show what he can do, Wardlow delivers. And then you start getting excited because you see the size, you see the athleticism, and you see that this guy might not have a fucking ceiling because he's got charisma too. We just haven't seen it because he's MJS heater. I hate to say it, Wardlow would be perfect for WWE. He's the perfect guy. I don't know what he is as a creative standpoint. I don't know what he is as, as a creative cat. He might want his own. He might want his own everything. He might want his own storylines. He might want to have control over his own character, but he's a guy that Vince would love. The only thing is when he goes to WWE, he's just going to be one of the big guys. And how does he stand out over there? But in terms of a prototype guy that Triple H and Vince want, Wardlow checks every every box. Every box. So it's pretty exciting because you know if he goes to WWE, how he would develop and what he would become. There's a list a mile long of guys like that in WWE. They're all different. I'm not saying they're all the same, but big, strong, intense guys. Ron Strowman, Lars Sullivan. The list goes on and on. You know, I can name a lot more. I mean, Keith Lee, uh, Brock Le- I mean, Brock Lesnar, Samoa Joe, these big well, Samoa Joe doesn't fit the bill quite as much, but um he's wrong. He was wrong. <laughs> but he kind of fits that mold to a certain extent, too, just because big, strong, aggressive, intense guys. Wardlow in AEW stands out because he's one of the he's not just one of the guys, he's one of the top two or three in terms of girth and in terms of height, he's one of the biggest guys they got, certainly one of the strongest. So if I said this on my Twitter, if you bought stocks in professional wrestlers by Wardlow, if you didn't buy it a year ago, which you should have bought it a year ago, but if you didn't buy Wardlow stock yet, buy Wardlow stock. The guy is going to be a champion and a major star in this business. It's just that simple. And there's no doubt the two things you can lock after listening to this broadcast, the two things you can lock and take to the bank, the bucks are joining Kenny eventually sooner than later. And Wardlow is going to be one of the biggest stars AEW ever produces barring whatever. So, so there we go. That was, that was the night. So MJF and Chris Jericho, a roll up with the tights, uh, kind of a, I hate that ending because WWE beat it into the ground so much. So I didn't love this match at all. Jericho had that mountain, that lion saw it was just was shit. And, uh, he knows it. He's not saying anything he doesn't know. And, uh, Jericho and MJF. And so moving forward, how is that going to work? And I think I told you it, MJF behind Jericho's back is going to throw Jericho under the bus because it was his decision. And then he's going to try to carry favor with the rest of the inner circle and eventually moving MJF. But that is some great storytelling right there. If that is what happens, I mean, they might surprise us and surprise me. And, and even if they do it, they got to do it in a certain way in a certain panache. That's you can't just say, Oh, you can't just book it. And then it's written. They have to make the magic. You can book something great, but if the performers don't do it, they don't add the 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 accoutrements, if you will, the accoutrements, a little French today, the accoutrements to uh, all to, to the match. That's whatever. So I know a lot of us we love booking. A lot of us uh, 
people in the business and out of the business. I have been in the business for the record, for those of you not knowing Silicon City Valley was a phenomenal game changing manager in WXWC4. And of course I, I, I was also part of the creative team and I was also a uh, broadcaster as well for WXWC4 out of Allentown, Pennsylvania, which is run by the great Samu and should be a hall of fame tag team, the head shrinkers. But uh, just a little background on me. So you can follow me at Real Steve Valley on Twitter. And that was AEW Dynamite this week. Not one of their strongest shows, but did a great job of progressing storylines. The Inner Circle was progressed. Matt Hardy, Private Heart Party was, the Hardy Party was progressed. Uh, the Dark Order took a little, and, and Hangman and Page took a little bit of a turn. Miro and Chuck, that started out, and he's doing some embarrassing things. He made Chuck say that Miro's his best friend, and uh, Orange Cassidy looked about as annoyed as he would look because he's Orange Cassidy. But he did tweet a broken heart, though, which I thought was cute. <laughs> and um, We're going to see the return of Sting with Darby Allen against members of Team Taz at the beach-themed event, first week of, first Dynamite of February. So that was big news. MJF and Chris Jericho are the official tag team of the Inner Circle, and we got to see how that's going to play out. John Moxley is going to take on Kenny Omega and his boys head-on, and that's going to be a lot of fun. And the Young Bucks apparently beat up Don Callis, but I think it's a ruse because the Young Bucks are going to join Kenny Omega. That was the summary of this week's AEW Dynamite with my luscious and beautiful commentary. I want to thank you guys. High Spots and Cheap Pops Dynamite Review. I want to thank you guys for joining. Again, at Real Steve Valley on the Twitter. And that is what I got to tell you guys. We'll see you guys next week for another review of AEW Dynamite. Here endeth the lesson. <laughs>